the contemporary proliferation of bullshit also has deeper sources in various forms of skepticism which deny that we can have any reliable access to an objective reality and which therefore reject the possibility of knowing how to truly embrace the void. If anyone was ever going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you. Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like they're people. Welcome, friends, to episode 235 of Embrace the Void, where all our theories are both grand and unifying. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we are talking some bullshit. So, let's ham it up. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... something. My guests this week are returning guest Tom and first-time guest Cecil of the Cogdis podcast. And the authors of a new book, The Grand Unified Theory of Bullshit. Gentlemen, would you like to say hi to the void? Can we just scream into it? I was afraid to look. <laughs> There's like a whole thing there. I'm actually waiting for it to become part of me. So, mm. yeah. hey, you are the void, and the void is indeed you. Uh, yeah, we prefer not the screaming, though. Like, obviously, we can take your levels down if you need to. I understand. <laughs> yeah, don't peak too much, Tom. Yeah, my levels get set to zero and under as a standard. That's fair. So, I, I mean, the content we're going to cover here it certainly is shouting worthy a lot of the time. So, I, I get where you're coming from, and it is uh, shouting into the void. So oh, yes, it is. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, every I'm, day. I'm, I'm sure that this, your book is going to fix everything. Actually, I'm. Oh fully, yeah, no, this is. I that's fully why we believe wrote this is yeah. going to be the moment, right? When they look back in the history books, this is going to yeah. be it right here. I, I can't wait for for one of my kids to be like, "Dad, when did things start getting better?" And I was like, "Well, we wrote this book, you see," mm. and then that was really this. It had bullshit in the title. That's cultural how you knew it was turning good. point that yeah. fixed the whole. It'll fucking be nice thing. to tell that story around a fire during the nuclear winter, Tom. <laughs> there you go. Right. Well, you'll have copies of the book to keep you warm, at least. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, the leftover ones now. that don't sell, I assume exactly. you'll keep your, in your, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, but this is like more of a digital book, right? So it's like, in a, you know, it's harder to burn that, I suppose. It is. Oh, it, um, is, it is. But I'd do it if I could. <laughs> do it, you can still try. Uh, yeah. So I'm really excited to be chatting with you boys again. We've had previous chats. Tom was on about uh, masculinity. That was fun. We talked about how social media is killing everybody in Monster Island over on y'all's show. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we get into the book, though. Since Cecil, you haven't been on the show before, uh, do you want to let our audience know like a little bit about your background and how you ended up shackled to Tom? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tom and I met in college. We met at a philosophy club. Uh, we mm. were in this small philosophy club together. Where uh, all bad things like, happen. Literally all <laughs> terrible things happen. We didn't like each other for like three years. Mm -hmm. And then we ran into each other just by chance in the streets of Chicago while he was at a different school and I was at a different school and we sort of reconnected. And then uh, our, our friendship sort of grew and we read uh, Machiavelli together. We read uh, uh, the uh, grounding. What is that? A uh, Kant book, the grounding of the morals. Yeah. yeah, yeah we read that together. So we read a couple of philosophy books together that were like extracurricular, not part of our classes, just, you know, just wanted to hang out and just read something that we thought was interesting. And then, mm -hmm. uh, and I was actually a philosophy major. Tom was a literature major and we were in different schools. And then we just became really close friends. And, yeah. you know, a year later, Tom's standing up in my, in my wedding and, you know, we've been very close friends ever since. And then we started a podcast, uh, another podcast in 2007, I believe, that is now defunct. But then Cognitive Dissonance came in in 2008 or 2011. And that's when we started working on uh, more atheist, skeptical content. 
Yeah, so just a couple of guys hanging out doing a little extra cunt on the side, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like you do when you're... It's a classic to early 20-something story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. a great meet-cute. Yeah. I love the part about, like, how y'all hated each other for several years. I thought you were going to be like, and then we started working together, and it got much yeah. worse. <laughs> we actually started podcasting, funny enough, on our... The podcasting start was really on our way to Menards. We were working on each other's houses, so we'd mm. go over and, and, you know, one weekend Cecil would work on, on my junker house and the next weekend I'd come over and help him with his house. And we were on our way to Menards and Cecil was listening to podcasts, which I I wasn't at the time. And he's like, we should do a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm just generally agreeable. So I was just like, sure. Yeah. All right. And I never thought anything would happen with it. And then he called me one day and he's like, we're doing a podcast like today. And I was like, oh, I got I guess I got to go get a microphone or something. I'm not sure how any of this works. I hadn't done. And we went. Amazing. I mean, and that was kind of it. Like Cecil's Cecil was driving. And he's like, we're doing it. We're doing this it. Is, this is where like, the bar right, is set for, it, so for people like us doing podcasts pretty much. Just you know. Yeah. That's, yeah. Do you have a microphone? Uh, yes. Let's record something. That is literally. Yeah. In my case, it was like, no, but I entry go to Best Buy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stories feels a bit like entrapment too. I always, you know, like I try to resist the urge when like two dudes have a a nice bromance going to not make it like like openly erotic. But then you start talking about like how you're coming over and working on each other's houses, and I just like there's clearly like a lot of fanfic that needs to like go into this. Yeah, it was weird that neither of us wore shirts. That was yeah, kind of, like from the or start, weird. Pants, it was it yeah, was sure. weird for yeah. sure. It was yeah, shirtless totally. overalls the whole time. That was, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the book then. Um, what made you decide to stop just talking into microphones and actually try to write something <laughs> down? Which is again a very poor choice in my opinion when the microphone thing is already working out for you. Um, what was it like an inciting incident or like just the steady incremental piling up of bullshit here that made this book happen? The uh, the the Tom and I had thought about writing a book maybe a year or so into cognitive dissonance. Yeah. We had thought about writing sort of a funny uh, what's the harm kind of book where we made a joke about some of the things that we thought were a lot less harmful and then sort of tried to bring people's attention to things we thought should be pointed out as more harmful, especially leaning towards religion and things like that. And then the book just never took off. Like we, we started to write a little bit. We'd maybe write a chapter and then we never really did much. And then Trump got in office in 2016 and we just, our, our podcast sort of shifted to a lot more political stuff because he was constantly, uh, you know, it, it was it was constantly in the news, and we and we and it was something that we felt like we had to talk about. And then when he uh, wanted to essentially steal an election, when he was legally voted out, and then there was all this election stuff that started to boil over, I just quickly revisited what we were thinking about, and then I sat down and started to write something. And then when I had enough that I thought. I wasn't going to be that it was actually going to be something. I reached out to Tom and said, I started something. Let's join forces and work on this together. Cause I knew myself that if I told someone ahead of time, it would be, it would fail. So I had to start mm-hmm. something beforehand and Tom readily agreed. And, and we both sort of really started working on this project in earnest, uh, pretty much, uh, Jan- December, January of 2020 to 2021. I like that move, Tom. This thing is already mostly written. Do you want to put your name on it? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? You would be surprised how often people come to me with that exact proposal. It's it's just like, (laughs) hey, I've done most of the work. Strangely, people like you. Would you just add your name to it? And I was like, I don't get it either, but sure. It's not true. Yeah. <laughs> it seems pretty accurate. I mean, it's, yeah. it's clearly like a Pluckrose and, and Lindsay relationship. And I get that. I respect that. Um, <laughs> and like, to, to your credit, Tom, you did the audiobook uh, or most of the audiobook, right? Where, which is, you know, it was enjoyable. I got to listen to that. Um, and like, you got to use your skills there clearly as a person who continues to talk into microphones. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm usable for most of what my body will do for me. That's like, that's it. Like, it's a, basically just like a, like a writing mule, just mm-hmm. somebody just points and just hands me words and I carry them <laughs> sweating and grunting, but otherwise, you know, reasonably amicable. No, it was, it, you know, the, the book process was really fun. Cecil had, Cecil had put together this, this outline and this rubric and this idea, and he had done an enormous amount of work. And then we sat down and we spent a long time 
just kind of refining the concept and, and yeah. honing mm-hmm. it and refine. I mean, the that process alone was I mean, it was it was wonderful and it was humbling. Um, I did mm-hmm. some writing on it and we worked with an editor um, who also helped us. So we really wanted to make sure that we had something when it was complete that was tight and refined and focused. Um, and we we put a, a huge amount of time and energy into into that element alone. So it was it was a mm-hmm. lot of fun, actually, to just go through the process of writing a book. That's great. And I, I would imagine having writing with somebody is more fun than my experience of writing alone. So give me your <laughs> give me your refined pitch there. Then what's the what's the elevator pitch for the, your grand unified theory of bullshit? So the the idea is that um, the the type of bullshit matters less than the underlying framework that all bullshit relies on. Mm-hmm. So it, it whether it's Bigfoot or whether it's chemtrails or whether it's the January 6th conspiracy, that's really the skin that overlays the top of all bullshit. All bullshit relies on certain sort of intellectual preconditions in order for it to work, in order mm-hmm. for it to thrive, in order for you to, uh, for lack of a better term, fall for it. Mm-hmm. And if you can identify those preconditions if you can identify that framework and if you can see it in something you don't believe in and that's kind of that's kind of an important part right so everybody has some bullshit they don't believe in and mm-hmm. if you can identify the the parts of that bullshit whether it's cryptids or aliens or you know some fantastical nonsense if you can identify the bullshit that lives under that then you can see that that's the same bullshit that lives under all the other nonsense people are trying to sell us so mm-hmm. there's an advantage to seeing through the easy stuff, right? So mm-hmm. while, while you might read the book and say, why? Well, I, I already knew that. That's actually not the point. The point is mm-hmm. that all bullshit smells the same. And if you can stink it out from the cryptids or you can smell it out from the aliens, you know, it's not any different than January 6th. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the point of it. Okay, great. So I want, I want to talk about how like key indicators there, but, but first I want to make sure we're clear because I think from reading it, my sense was y'all, y'all don't mean bullshit in the like formal, there's like a formal academic sense that some oh, folks a formal have formal oh, academic I sense. I don't know if you were aware of this. Yeah. I got out of philosophy oh. too early. Go ahead. Tell yeah. me what the formal Which, academic no, okay. sense is. I'm, I'm not even joking. There's a whole, there's a whole literature around bullshit. Um, specifically. I, I, I also, of course I, there fucking is. Right. right? Of course there fucking is. Of course there is. Um, I think it's a guy named Frankfurt or someone who's primarily, <laughs> I, I don't remember. My understanding of it is that like, bullshit is off as used to specifically refer to not just like making shit up but specifically with a with a genuine lack of concern for whether it's true or not there's like a difference between like an individual who like is lying but cares about the truth and then like someone like trump who just like he'll just say the thing and it doesn't well, matter to him. There's no, there's no concern for the truth whatsoever or something like that. I so I guess we were using the colloquial bullshit. Yeah, we were definitely the, using <laughs> the, the <laughs> academic bullshit, uh, much to our yeah. chagrin, perhaps. I don't know. Which but. is, which is funny because Tom yeah. and I have talked many times about how people misuse terms, specifically <laughs> like theory and things like that. And you're like, I, you know, oh, I don't well, think we it's a misuse that, of terms. We? I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's a misuse of terms because I think the colloquial version is fine. I just wanted to, you know, because yeah. some folks who listen to this are going to be like, is, "Are we talking about the specific bullshit oh, or the general yeah. bullshit?" Um, so well, for general you bullshit listeners, here. Tom and I just found out about it. So <laughs> you, you witnessed right here, right now. Um, <laughs> so you could do it. Explain so, like I'm five bullshit oh, like that, and you could spend some time on you it. You could, too. man. Great. Yeah. So let me ask you then, what do you think of like this is this as, as I understand it, this is like a form argument rather than a content argument, right? You're concerned about the form of the bullshit rather than, as you say, that what specific bullshit we're talking about. Sure. Yes. What are the like key indicators, the form side of it, that y'all are trying to highlight that people can can notice when they're when they're catching bullshit? Yeah. One of the major things that people do is they they are motivated to believe it because it feels good. And there mm-hmm. is much of this book that we point out that these are all very similar because they they grab you not because they're particularly interesting or they're particularly convincing. It's that they have something to them that makes you want to believe it. Uh, religion is a great uh, a great 
uh, example of this. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people believe it because they 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 genuinely want to have the things that they're believing to be true. Uh, and you know, we also talk a lot about conspiracy too, where that that falls into the conspiracy mindset, where people they want it to be true because you know they're the detective uncovering this this deep plot. Yeah. They're the ones who are you know the, the world is sort of centered on them being the ones who is who are exposing this you know this deep conspiracy, and so they want to believe that that's true. And so mm. a lot of motivated reasoning is what connects a lot of these things together and that's what and that's what we talk a lot about in the book is pointing out each time that it's motivated reasoning hell even like cryptids or you know ghosts that sort of thing has a lot of motivated reasoning behind it so you know we we, we try to make sure that that's that was i think one of the major pieces of the book mm, i think i would i would i would mm -hmm. add some color in that um you know there's a there's a strong sense i think that people have that they want to be um, larger than life, that they want to be the hero in the story uh, rather than just another bit player, right? Mm -hmm. And if you, if you're the guy who knows the secret, right, then all of a sudden you're not some bit player in the story of how the world works. You are a hero in that story. You're slaying monsters, man. You're out there killing gods and slaying monsters in this metaphorical sense. And even if it is Bigfoot, right, you're mm -hmm. the guy who knows that there is this fucking as yet untrapped and seen ape that lives out there and all of the attendant nonsensical bullshit in there makes you more important than the reality of who most of us are. Most of us are just some guy that wakes up and they, you know, kiss their wife and kids and then they go to work and it doesn't matter that you ever were. And that mm. story sucks. Nobody actually likes that story. So we have to be very careful that, our desire to be more and to know more and to be more important doesn't eclipse the reality of what's true. Mm. Um, and all of those stories paint us in the position of being a kind of hero, a kind of God slayer. Um, oh, mm -hmm. I know something the doctors don't want you to know. No, mm -hmm. you don't. That's nonsense. Of course you don't. Don't be absurd. But if you do, then you're slaying the gods of medicine, right? You're a hero right. against the gods of medicine, and you will be motivated to believe stories that paint you in that light. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is definitely something that I'm sympathetic to as an analysis, especially of like conspiracy communities that seem to have, you know, a community game kind of thing going on. And it, it is both a hero narrative and this reinforcing uh, sensation. As I was listening to y'all talking about it, though, you know, when I'm whenever I'm trying to like work through these analyses, I'm always like trying to figure out how am I going to use this to separate the good from the bad out there in the world. And so, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, so, yes, there are these kind of motive, like really clear examples of motivated reasoning. But at the same time, a lot of education is effectively sort of motivated persuasion. Right. Like we don't teach people facts just like boring facts in a list or something we yeah. we build narratives and we try to make them pleasurable narratives right and then and we want to you know tell people well you, you know you don't have to believe in gods and angels to think the world is you know magical but we still want to instill a sense of magic in you by telling you this other kind of um information and i guess so i wonder do you think that it's still okay to use kind of those um, emotional, motivational techniques when you're doing, you know, psychom or something like that? Or is that create a risk of then it being hard to distinguish between, you know, psychom and misinformation? Yeah. Oh, go on, Cecil. I, you know, I, I think that, I think that, you know, I, funny enough, I teach a class, I'm an adjunct professor at a local university, and I teach a class on digital storytelling, where mm -hmm. I teach a, a, a class to write a very personal story about themselves. And then I teach them some very simple video editing. And then we create these digital stories. Um, and, uh, and then you show them, you share them, there's like a peer review process where we're sharing sort of very personal moments with each other. And I think a lot of that stuff, like like what you just said, where you know you're you're trying to teach or you're trying to to learn in those ways where you're 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 trying to teach through stories and not through facts and things like that. I don't think that that's I don't think that's necessarily dangerous. I think the problem might be that um, that 
you're tricking when you trick yourself into believing like something like a conspiracy theory or something like that. There's mm-hmm. there's something very there's something very like there's something very um there's something very unique about that in the sense that you're trying to like as Tom said, sort of put yourself in this sort of hero position. You're not like, you're not like a, just a, an NPC. You're a hero in that position. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know that I can see the connection between something like that and something like, you know, learning through, uh, through the method that you explain. Well, I guess I, I feel like, I mean, even this book, for example, I think there is an element to which you are, you know, pleasuring your audience, as it were, <laughs> right, by telling them these things in a way that is enjoyable, as interesting uh-huh. as the narrative, right? But that, like, that also, you know, you're trying to convince them that if they do okay. the things you're saying, they will have a better life. They will be happier, more well-off in various kinds oh. of ways, I think. No, maybe. so no, you, I'm going to immediately push on that. Yes. First of all, I yeah. don't think you'll be happier. Okay. So, like, you think you'll be, this has you'll think nothing you'll be to do with being happy. Yes. So, so take that and like shunt it off to the side is not like, I think not even happy, not not, not just like happy in a thin emotional sense. I mean, happy in a, like a life of flourishing sense. Yeah. I don't know. Life is more worth living. I don't know that that that's the case either. No, I think, um, you know, they're like out to borrow an, an overused phrase, which is mostly bullshit, but in some cases, ignorance is bliss. Right. So the, the more, you know, not the happier you are or the better your life goes, the more flourishing, um, you will experience. Like, I don't think that those things have any relationship yeah. that's meaningful whatsoever. Yeah, no. So I think I would immediately say no to that. I would, I would also laugh a little bit and say that that pushback feels very much like the metaphysics of morals. Like, Hey, it's not moral if you enjoyed it, you know? So I just want to point that out because <laughs> it's a bit of a wraparound to our opening. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just- no, right. Absolutely. And, and like, I'm not, it's, it's not pushback because I'm sympathetic to this approach, but I'm also, sort of just trying to figure out its potential limits um, or ways that somebody might push back on. And it does seem to me that y'all want people to take your advice in this book, right? Like you're giving sure. advice, especially at the end of the yes. book that I think you sure. think will help people in some way, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it will help in the sense that um, there is an advantage to believing in only true things, right? And mm-hmm. so you might not actually experience a personal advantage. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that this is, this is an important distinction that maybe we didn't really articulate too well but even if your life would have been better if you were deluded Mm -hmm. you were still deluded and if Mm -hmm. if enough people aggregate their delusion then overall we all suffer Mm -hmm. so we have a we have a responsibility to ourselves as members of society to try to believe only true things right and -hmm. that's part of a broader social contract that we have to acknowledge that mm-hmm. yeah, individually, I might not experience a personal gain, and I may actually experience some amount of personal dissatisfaction or loss. Religion is a great example. There are many people who are deeply comforted by religious uh, ideologies. They feel a deep sense of comfort and satisfaction and community, most of which drops away when you deliver yourself from the God delusions, right? So when you el- eliminate God, you all of a sudden, you don't have the same sort of existential pillow to rest your head on at night. And mm-hmm. for many people, they struggle with that. And that's something that, that hurts them. They lose their community, they lose family. The amount of net loss mm-hmm. is actually fairly large for setting that nonsense to the side. Right. But we still, I think as people who believe that there is an intrinsic value and a social value in believing true things, I think we would all agree that, it's still important to set that aside. It's still important to try to know true things because the world will be better, even if Mm -hmm. I'm not better and I'm not full of shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's important to me to not feel like I'm full of shit, even if it hurts me to not Mm -hmm. feel full of shit. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Go ahead. Go ahead. 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 I I was just going to point out too this, and this may be a little tangential, but what Tom was saying about religion, you know, this is one of those moments where it stretches across other types of bullshit. There's communities around all these different types of things, right? And those mm-hmm. communities give you hearts and likes, yeah. and they have people in them that that you get your juice off of, right? So you post something on a whatever board, whether it's a cryptid board or it's a conspiracy board or it's an alt-med board or whatever, you get something out of that. And there's communities built around every single thing. And one of the things that I think the reason why this book wouldn't have been able to have been written 
when we first started doing the show is because social media has changed all these little tiny things, these little these little things that probably weren't, you know, that maybe Jamie Ian Swiss, if people even know who that is, would have gotten on a stage at TAM 15 years ago or 10 years ago and laughed and been like, yeah, this stuff isn't that big a deal. Who cares about Bigfoot? Let's let these people have their fun. When you think about it now, there's actually mm -hmm. some real damage, not just with yeah. these social media things, but with television shows and how they portray it. And so like, there's some real damage in how that stuff is even portrayed nowadays. So that's why I think like, like there, the community aspect of it is super important. The community yes. aspect is what you get. That's what you get your hearts and your likes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I want to be clear. I wasn't, when I was saying happiness, I didn't mean per, just one person's individual happiness. I did have in mind sort of the larger utilitarian yeah. good that would come from people believing less bullshit, essentially. Sure. Um, but I also, you know, I think it's interesting that you bring up the internet part of it because in the book, the problem Y'all mostly focus, it feels like, on the sort of personal psychology perspective, the kind of motivated reasoning um, side of the analysis. But I know that Tom in particular has a strong dislike of social media from our previous conversations. Um, I'm curious how you see sort of that side playing into this. And, and do you sort of lean towards like making substantial changes to the social media landscape alongside these individual changes? Well, I think the very the end of the book is mainly about really the conclusion of the book is essentially trying to deal with this stuff nowadays, trying to deal with how you interpret this information and gather information now. And it's like I say, it's it's very different from what what we would have thought about it years ago. Yeah. And there's there's many different actors out there trying to manipulate your 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 thought process and manipulate what you think. And it's not just the community, it could be news sources and it could be, you know, it's definitely social media. And I think we tried to in that, in that conclusion, really talk about all those pitfalls and how to actually navigate an information landscape that is very different from what it might've been even five years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would add that with, with respect to social media, I mean, social media has done an excellent job of knowing um, in explicit terms, knowing um, that we are motivated reasoners, right? That they mm -hmm. they've spent an enormous amount of time and money, and they they have uh, teams of people to understand how we work. Yeah. And all you have is you, and mm -hmm. you're swimming upstream against teams of PhDs and engineers and data scientists and neuroscientists and algorithms. Yeah. And algorithms. And I think it's important to point out we do this in the conclusion. That, that you cannot think of yourself as the outlier and the guy who gets it when everyone else does. Because if you think of yourself that way as a data collector and an information gatherer, you are thinking of yourself in the same exact terms as the guy who believes in any other conspiracy. Except mm -hmm. for in this case, the conspiracy is the conspiracy of your own intellectual superiority. I mm -hmm. can use this tool that I acknowledge is dangerous in ways that don't endanger me because I have this greater sense of you know, uh, control over it. Mm -hmm. We acknowledge in the book that no, you do not. You are unlikely to be the outlier. Set yeah. that aside, have a plan. You cannot mm -hmm. accept information of any kind. And that includes very much social media. We outline a specific plan with specific steps that I, I believe strongly you must use without fail and exception. Mm -hmm. um, now, whether you use our plan or you, articulate and elaborate your own plan i think the point of a, of creating and specifically articulating preferably in writing a plan on how to gather information and use tools like social media if you don't have that you do everything accidentally mm -hmm. and anything you do accidentally you will do poorly unless you get extraordinarily lucky so yeah. i think our book tries to really hone that and 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 talk about that in explicit terms because, yeah, man, social media is not here for your benefit. Mm -hmm. It's not. It never was created for the benefit of the user. It was created for the benefit of social media to create ad revenue. And whatever has to happen in order for that to occur, mm -hmm. it, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I'm, it doesn't matter. I, I, one of the things I liked yeah. in, at the end of the book was this idea about inform yourself intentionally, never accidentally. I think that's a good piece of advice that is very hard to follow given how much information we're all trying to absorb 
all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that you've raised what I think, you know, I, I absolutely think I liked your plan and I worry that it's not enough. Right. Because of all that thing you just said about the PhDs with their ad revenue technology and stuff, I worry that, you know, no amount. And this is actually a big problem, in, in my opinion, in like the edu entire education field around conspiracism is a lot of it is, is like y'all focused in on how do we fix these cognitive biases? What techniques actually help people be, you know, doing the things that y'all are kind of pointing towards? Um, but my concern is, I, I worry that no amount of improving individual capacity can be a counter to the toxic information environment that we're all living in, and that like individuals just can't be expected to make themselves sufficiently robustly immune. And so we need like a really, really serious conversation about like how much we're gonna, how much energy and money we're gonna throw at content moderation. Um, so like I wonder. Do y'all also agree or do you feel that like we need like a real big step up in content moderation on top of this project? Yes, mm -hmm. I do. <laughs> I do. Like huge. Yeah. We, we talk about that all the time on our show where, yeah, right. you know, there's so many of these big giant social media companies that get away with, um, you know, putting out blatant misinformation mm -hmm. or silencing uh, people who are debunking things because their algorithm is too strict. Um, you know, mm -hmm, they're, they're just, mm -hmm. they're, it's the, uh, the profit model, you know, and I know I'm going to get messages that call me a lefty and that's fine, but the profit model follows from, the path. Not from of least my resistance. listeners, you're not. Okay, good, good. <laughs> thank goodness. But the profit model follows the path of least resistance. And so what, what happens is, is these, these giant companies, they, they either put something in place that is so rigid that it, it, it knocks all these, mm -hmm. the debunking videos or debunking, uh, posts out too. And then nobody gets a chance to really see these things exposed or they put something in that's so weak that essentially everything is equal mm -hmm. and there is no, it doesn't, the algorithm chooses, it'll, it'll choose a flat earth video or it'll choose a flat earth debunking video based on nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, and so you're constantly being, you, you could be constantly being fed misinformation as well because they just don't care. And I think they, we, Tom and I talk about this all the time. They need to do a much, 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 much better job. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted I, to, I, you know, I want to clarify, I ask because I often see an argument of the form, you know, content moderation is bad because X, Y, Z free speech to, you know, don't yeah, give, they'll give corporations yeah, that kind us, of power. Man. That's not us. Okay. Right. And, that, and like they would I, then I, point to things like your approach as a sufficient alternative. Oh um, no, it's not yeah. even close. Mm -hmm. look, look, I, there are no amount of countermeasures which can render a gun in your home perfectly safe. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, there's a lot of things. If you're going to have a gun, there's a lot of things you should do. So I'll give you an example. Like, I think this is a good, nice analogy. So I happen to own guns and I have kids and I recognize that there is an, in, in, there's a danger there that I can never fully overcome, mm -hmm. but I don't keep ammunition in the house. Mm -hmm. For example, mm -hmm. I have my guns in one safe. I have a key to that gun in a different safe. And the first safe is a digital combination a series of smaller and smaller lock. safes. So yeah, it's a Russian nesting is, safe. Yeah, yeah. Right, but for real. So if somebody is going to gain access to a firearm and hurt themselves in my house, they got to bring their own ammunition. They've got it. And there's trigger locks on the guns, too. So they've got to they've got to mm -hmm. know that I have this. So they've got to go through a lot of effort. Right. It you have to build a render, zip gun in your garage. Right. It doesn't <laughs> render. And, and the thing is, like, none of that is actually inconvenient for me as sure. the user. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 very easy for me to do. It's actually much easier than solving the social media problem. Mm -hmm. What you can do in many cases, if we're going to decide that we're going to live with these things, which are inherently dangerous is we have to build a series of funnels. Each step in the funnel makes it more and more unlikely mm -hmm. for the thing that we don't want to occur, knowing that some amount of, of bad shit is going to happen. Right? So the mm -hmm. perfect world is somebody comes and says, Hey man, Guns are inherently dangerous items and nobody should have them and they all go away, but we're never going to live in that world in America. So I think that's a silly conversation to have mm -hmm. because there is no political will to make that happen. So you can set aside utopian arguments as being intellectual masturbation, and then we need to focus on pragmatic tools, right? Mm -hmm. So the book offers a series of imperfect but pragmatic tools but really, the answer is what I, look, I think of as the nipple problem. You know, you can't post a nipple on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Facebook will find that nipple. Mm -hmm. You post a picture of a nipple on Facebook, they're going to find it 
super fast and they're going to delete the picture and they're going to do whatever things that Facebook does when you post a nipple. They have the tools, the technology and the will and the wherewithal to find those nipples. They have the tools, the technology and the wherewithal to find vaccine disinformation, Mm -hmm. to find all this other stuff. They choose intentionally. And we know this now because data scientists from the Washington Post and from ProPublica have verified this. They have the tools to find that information and to eliminate that information very, very quickly and very accurately, just like you can't post a nipple. Mm -hmm. There is an intentional choice by social media companies to behave in unethical ways in order to create anger and division and upset and emotional turbulence, because those things are what drive revenue. Okay. We are not going to get rid of social media. We're not going to get rid of guns. We need to create better funnels. I agree. All right. So I just want to make sure we're all on a similar page there. Um, Let me let me ask you about another sort of concern that has been percolating for me with approaches like this, you know, since reading this stuff, actually prior to this book, but this book sort of um, helped me bring it into focus a little bit, which is a concern that this lens, you know, this this method, despite sort of in theory being a method where you acknowledge that everybody has this problem and everyone needs to use this approach. I worry that it's not actually an approach that you can turn on your own beliefs. Do you know what I mean? That like, it's easy to use this model to diagnose what seem to you to be bullshit beliefs that other people hold. But I worry about how plausible it is that you could take this approach and then go to work on your own currently held beliefs with it. Does that, do you you understand what I mean? Does that sort of worry you at all as an an issue? I don't know. I'm trying to think of, it's funny because um, I think by definition, we don't think our beliefs are bullshit. So it's hard for me to to do, right? (laughs) Right. That's my concern. So to that, that's, that's your, that's your worry. You know, so I will I will acknowledge it. Yeah, that that probably is something that's that's very difficult to um, to guard against because identifying even categorically those items in your own uh, belief system, which are perhaps nonsense. But I, I guess I guess the thing is that you can and I think our book kind of suggests that you you can use and I'll go back to the filter analogy. You can use some filters that I think are probably pretty good i don't know they're not going to catch everything but will they work mostly and even on your own stuff yeah you know if you if you say man i'm the only one that believes this i'm the only one in my in my social circle i'm the only one in my work circle i'm nervous to bring this idea up around other people i should probably examine that more fully and you may find that yeah i'm i'm surrounded so for example if you are not religious in a in a crowd of religious people that would at least give you an opportunity to say, I need to examine this very fully. And if you, if you examine it very fully and you run it through the sort of gut check that, that we came up with, mm-hmm. you, may, you may find, yes, I'm holding an accurate belief or I'm holding a belief that seems by the preponderance of evidence available to me to still be accurate. But if, if, you, don't, if you don't even have a way to measure which of your ideas need to kind of go through the system, mm-hmm. um, then I think you're in real trouble because you're just going to sort of set aside. Here's what I think is true. And I've always thought it was true, but that's our whole point is everything should be subject to some amount of examination and you're not going to wean yourself down into perfection, but you can probably say at least with a few things, man, you know, I, I, I took a look at that because all around me were people who think that this is nonsense mm-hmm. or I'm nervous to bring this topic up um, around this group of people in my life. And why is that? Am I right or are they right? Somebody here is wrong, but some I, these ideas need to be examined more fully. And then we try to give you tools to actually examine those ideas. Mm. But you're never going to get it perfect. And I think too, you know, to add into that, you know, those those moments of self-realization where you you realize you were wrong or that, you know, your opinion might be might be different about something that, you know, is different from reality. Those are growing difficult moments. And I've had many of those in my life. Like I yeah. used to be a, I used to be a, a religious believer. I used to be a conspiracy theorist. I used to be a right winger. I used to be a lot of things that right now I see as someone who might be, 
using motivated reasoning to make themselves feel good. And, you know, like those are moments, those are difficult moments in your life that are, that are very hard. But I think that, you know, catching yourself and saying, am I motivated for this? Am I confirming all these biases by surrounding myself with the same information and not reaching out into other areas to gather that information? I gather information all the time from, you know, from Mm -hmm. what I would consider right-wing sources to see if I am trying, am I thinking about this in a way that is very biased, right? Am I thinking, and this happens with political stuff all the time, you know, am I thinking about this in a, in a biased way? So, you know, it's just, it's a constant process and, and, you Mm -hmm. know, you're not going to be a hundred percent perfect at it. You're never going to be perfect at it, but, um, but I hope that I'm believing true things all the time. And if I'm not, I'm trying to be open to the truth as much as possible. Yeah. I, I, I want to add real quick to that, the mm-hmm. constant process piece. I, I think we have a tendency to think of a lot of things as in our minds as settled questions. Um, and we, we really need to set that aside as much as we possibly can. And we're not going to do it in everything every day, but we should... We should, as often as possible, think of most cognitive processes as as something that you're going to need to revisit. You're going to need to constantly revisit. Mm-hmm. Where do I stand on this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think of something ridiculous, like or less ridiculous. Think of like acupuncture. So we talk about acupuncture in the book. If yeah, thanks for tomorrow, that. I really didn't need to know any any of that information about acupuncture. <laughs> if I don't people put really needles in me when I have real medication in them. That was not, not an okay chapter for me. We're actually going to send you some videos Ugh, after this that yeah. you can enjoy. But if if you know, I we I, I have I have certain thoughts about whether or not acupuncture is a a valuable resource as a medical tool. Um, I have those because I think I've looked at what data is available. Mm-hmm. But if new studies came out, like if they fucking find chi, mm-hmm. I'm down. Mm-hmm. I need to be down. I need to be ready to say, okay, wow, yeah. holy shit. They came out with a an orgone meter and it reads your orgones. And I didn't yeah. think that was possible. And I poo-pooed that, but you know who's wrong? Me. And I also, need to be okay with that. I want to point out too, like since the beginning of the pandemic, Tom and I have been talking about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in the same way. If it's proven, if somebody does come out and prove that ivermectin does do something for COVID mm-hmm. in a way that is, yeah. you know, in a, in, in a, done in many large tests, we need to be ready because we've been, we've been on the train that's like, what the hell are you people doing? We're going to need to be ready to be like, no, we were wrong. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we actually should be happy that there is a new treatment for COVID and not, not like trying to push, you know, push against it, even when there are studies that say it's true. Right. Lots of big so, studies, not just like a falsified one. Yeah. So I, gotta, I still I got to I'm going to bust your balls here a little bit, mostly because they are my own balls, because we are in the same place on this. <laughs> um, and it's like, I'm just, just like a different together. show. Should we switch over to, to, yeah, to let's your only fans balls yeah. next to? Uh, well, this has just been, this, you know, this stuff is like, does my head in as I'm doing like the conspiracism stuff, right? So I fully agree, like, you know, that narrative that Cecil was explaining earlier about the heroes, you know, being the central hero of your narrative. And then I think, well, how do I know that like all of the skeptics that I know who've left religion and have a story like Cecil and think that they got out, how is their escape from dogma story any different than like the conspiracy theorists who have their escape from dogma story? And you say, well, we're we're open to being corrected. Like the conspiracy theorists also think if you show them enough evidence, they'll be, they'll have their beliefs changed. And so at the end of the day, I just keep like, is there really any marker that I can point to that like distinguishes, you know, my narrative from their narratives in a way that can really make me feel confident that mine is not bullshit? Well, I, I, I guess if in terms of like religion's the easiest question for that one. So I, I almost want to skip it. Right. Because like the, the two choices just binarily are, are, an absence or the presence of a belief. And that is a little different, right? Because we, by default, don't believe most things. And so the burden of evidence problem is always on to believe something, right? So if I, if I'm religious, the burden of evidence is to say, well, I, okay, there's a God. All right. Well, I'm, not, I'm actually not sure that about that God. psychologically. I think default, we lean towards believing things because it feels good to believe things. And that's why we hate people who bring up problems like philosophers. 
Well, maybe, I, but we don't believe lots of stuff, right? I think like, philosophers give us plenty of reasons to hate them, think, not just one. I, think, I, mean, I think humans are a generally credulous species for the most part, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're quick no. to form narratives and we're quick to agree with beliefs yeah. unless we have a yes. good reason not to. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're right about so, yeah, that. But you just, I guess you just changed your are... mind from that. I'm just kidding. I'm so, kidding. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So prove, point right. proven. Okay, let's move on there to the next point. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I worry, like, how do we, do, do you have any of your own beliefs that you're like, maybe at least a little bit worried or bullshit that like, maybe you feel like you need to be doing a more of a gut check on and you haven't been, or you've been putting it off or something like that? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I'll say I worry about any belief that I hold with like a lot of emotional vehemence. Mm -hmm. I think the more emotional vehemence that I have, um, mm. the, the, the more I should be nervous that I'm, that I'm getting that right. I'm emotionally like vehement about my worries about social media, for example. Mm -hmm. Like I know that I have legit concerns about that. Um, I also know that I have a strong emotional attachment or, or to, to my thoughts about that as well. So that's something that I need to be constantly aware of. You know, I am absolutely dismissive until I pause and try to retract my dismissal about any positives for social media, mm -hmm. right? Like, because I, because I have strong feelings about it. I have developed strong feelings um, about sort of when I think about the future of America, for example, I have developed strong feelings about that, that absolutely color what news I consume. Mm -hmm. They color... Um, how I gather information. And so I have to take steps to control for my news gathering and my information gathering. And then I have to recognize, like, I, I am probably wrong, maybe not completely, but I am probably at least on a continuum level wrong about some of these topics. Mm -hmm. Cryptocurrency is a great example. I have read a bunch about cryptocurrency. I've tried to understand it. I cannot wrap my head around it. So it feels like bullshit to me mm -hmm. and i so like fully recognize that i may be wrong about that what's that so like hiding yeah, right and, like hiding yeah. so yeah i, I will i will, I will supporting say supporting fascism three right yeah <laughs> <laughs> the crypto of the crypto yeah is... <laughs> that one that one i'll probably get emails for not the other thing um, uh yeah. So I would identify those three in me immediately mm -hmm. like as things that I, because I'm emotionally attached to them or, or have strong emotional feelings around them mm -hmm. that I recognize that I, I probably consume more information, which bias the consuming of more information biases your thinking as mm -hmm. well. Right. Yeah. And I think, I, you know, we want to be careful, of course, and not be like the solution is to become a pure rationalist bro who like only believes things that they have complete emotional detachment from. But I do think it is a right. good corrective, especially if you might be someone who has, you know, a quick to anger reaction or something like that, that like, uh, not that, that anyone, God damn it, what are you insinuating, Aaron? Exactly. Right, but like, for sure, yeah. I, I do think it's a good point that like, if you know that something is, a, is like a trigger subject for you, right? Like maybe you don't, you know, just tweet react immediately to everything you see about that. Maybe you, you know, don't swing at all those pitches or don't, you know, only check the ones that like you can really dive into yeah. first or something like that did you want to add something there cecil i was you know it, it's funny because tom will say that but you know tom does push himself on those things and you know it's 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 something that i initially thought something different about right so like before any of any uh, before i really dug into it i kind of thought of social media is just like yeah it's just social media it's not a big deal it doesn't matter and then i started really sort of looking at you know a lot of different independent journalism about what is happening and behind the scenes and how they're pushing certain messages out over others and how they're not curtailing certain things. And, and it really did change my mind quite a mm. bit. So I came into it in a, in a, in a very sort of, yeah, what's the big deal? It's just, you know, it's puppy pictures and, and once Tom in a while Black I get to get mad about stuff. And then, and then Tom inter inducted me into his conspiracy theory. And now <laughs> both of us. Yep. 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 Very, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you see, now I've infected you with my horrible disease. You and now yeah. You're gonna thank you. I appreciate it. The one it. thought yeah. too many spreads you. to another person. No, I can't fine. stop second guessing fine, no, everything. Second Who guessing. even am I? I know, right? Well, like, here's, a, here's another example, right? Because, you know, I think obviously I value skepticism. I think it's a good way to approach the world, but there's also a problem where 
folks can get hooked, I think, on a kind of skeptical narrative or skeptical way of thinking. And like when they get bored, you know, attacking religion, they start attacking gender or something like that. And so I guess let me ask you this. How would you if you had a, a guy who came up to you and said, I, I've, I've adopted your principles, I'm, I'm fully practicing them. And not only have I escaped religion, but I've also escaped trans ideology or something like that. How would you sort of push back on that as a, a pr use of your sort of approach uh, to addressing a particular topic? Yeah, I think I think if you're going to say something like that, then I'll be like, I, I would say something like, okay, well, what was, what was your motivated reasoning to believing in something like that, that changed right. your mind before? Wow. How were you motivated by it? And how did you, how did you now change your mind? How mm -hmm. did you get away from any kind of confirmation bias? It's so funny. Cause like when we first started the podcast, so many, I think we thought so many different things, you know, if we're talking about social issues, I think our social issues, we've grown up as adults. Yeah. We became adults during the podcast phase that the 10 years that 12 years that cognitive dissonance has gone has been going on. You know, we, we might've, I think been very insensitive to gender issues when we first started. We certainly would have been very insensitive to privilege issues when we first started. For sure. And now, you know, I think we're very sensitive about things like that. So I would, I would definitely question. I would be like, I don't think you read the same book that I wrote. <laughs> oh, wait, all right. I'll, I'll play, I'll play douchebags advocate here. Right. Um, <laughs> advocate i like you know like shouldn't you give that disclaimer at the beginning of your program i do at the beginning of every episode oh, yeah. Damn. <laughs> Damn. i had to I had i'm salty for all the pushback i understand it's Yikes. fine no uh, not at all no not that all. was good it was good um you know like the narrative you're describing to me there is you got radicalized into a cult of wokeness right you got absorbed <laughs> into a community oh, I, I like this this is fun. right you got absor absorbed into a community true. where you're being positively reinforced and love bombed for your support for a bunch of unscientific things you know here's a bunch of studies you that you're not paying email. attention to like uh, read my email. right <laughs> yeah. yeah you haven't you haven't read our email or seen our numbers change yeah. in the decline in the okay. decline we changed it changed and also tell, and also tell me like, about this, yes. like well okay so how about how about the fact that one time I mentioned on our show that there happened to be a, a group, a small group of people from the atheist community that have a support group for people who have been assaulted. And it's a, it's an anonymous support group. And I yeah. mentioned that we we're going to put a link on this week's show and someone came at us. They said that they were going to create a rumor that Tom and I raped them at a show and that they were, that they were fondled and raped by us and that they were gonna they were gonna spread it out about us because that's what we were doing to the rest. I, I have the emails. Like uh -huh. I actually yeah, actually I've, shared I've them seen on my versions social of media. this against yeah. other people so, as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they 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 went out of their way to say how how awful we were for even creating something like that. So I've actually experienced pushback in the other way. I I, I rarely get like a heartsy or a fuzzy because I don't really talk about stuff like that like on social media. I'm not like I don't, I don't post just random trans rights or human rights, even though I believe it. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't do that sort of thing. But I, but I think like we, we wind up getting, and we have like, like buckets of email and bad comments and things about people who claim that, you know, like we're just too woke and they don't, they don't, they hate us because of yeah. it now. I mean, like, like our show initially was like, let's make fun of religious people. And now it's like, God, we feel really sorry that there's so many people that are hurt by this. Mm. Did you want to add something there, Tom? It seemed like you were enjoying this game quite a bit. I think I think this is fun. I think the idea I I think that your your point of, you know, how do you know you haven't been radicalized? Yeah, uh, I think I think in like this sort of um, intellectual gamesmanship sense that that's a very real thing that we need to guard ourselves against. And and I think though that many of the same tools and I I will plug the book again. Mm -hmm. I think many of the same tools that we outline in the book will help you do that, right? It will help you make sure that you are not being radicalized. And one of the ways that you do that is by reducing, and you made a great point, you're being love-bombed, et cetera. So you, you pull yourself out of the ability to be love-bombed, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, I don't ever read comments on our, we'll do like a live stream on YouTube. I've never read the comments. Never? I will not go to our fan page. I will not read our Twitter. I will not engage, I don't friend people from the show on my personal Facebook page. I create a tremendous amount of distance from my 
ability to be reinforced in that. You suddenly turned me against this entire project. I was I was so on board <laughs> right until you said that I couldn't do all of those things. Yeah, no, go ahead, continue. Be, be, but but I because I think one, I mean, I did it selfishly because I think like you could take damage from it. Mm-hmm. So like I didn't want to yeah. take damage from it, mm-hmm. but I, I also like recognize that I can be swayed by it in other directions too, mm-hmm. and that if I'm gonna have the show be what I always wanted it to be, which is I'm going to have a conversation with my best friend and we're going to record it. Mm-hmm. Then I need to have that conversation with my best friend and we're going to record it. And then whatever happens out in the world, in the audience world has to be divorced from me as much as possible. Yeah. So, and I think that that speaks to many of the same principles we outline in the book, have a plan, mm-hmm. be intentional. Mm-hmm. Don't just accept this sort of love bomb because you choose whether or not you give yourself an opportunity to be love bombed, right? I, I, I talk about this a, a lot in that, you know, validation should come only from people that you are close with and mm. never be an aggregated response. Mm. If, if validation of an opinion or thought is an aggregated response, I think it has no value. Validation from, should come from people that you have vetted yourself about the meaning of that validation. So if Cecil mm. says, great job, that means something to me. If a thousand people I've never met say great job, I won't even hear it mm-hmm. because I don't want that to mean more. That's a, and that's an intentional yeah. re, t- intentional navigation in order to avoid that kind of radicalization. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I just think it's a really excellent point and a suggestion, though I would I would sort of rate it up there with like fifth level vegan for the level of like ethical obligation you are insert, you know, asserting upon yourself to like cut yourself off in that kind of way. Like I think you know, it's hard because I do think some people need that kind of validation. Maybe, you know, maybe not be in a situation where they have a Cecil who can validate them in a way that like personally sure. feels really good. And like, so they need an online community. And so I don't, I don't think you're saying nobody should have an online community, but I also think I'm not. there's a very no. good point to this idea that like, um, we can control to some extent if we have any luck in it, where, you know, we can have some control over the amount of, feedback that we get which can then protect us to some extent from getting sucked into one space too much or something yeah yeah and i obsess over negative comments so what i do is i just collect all those and that's what fuels right. my <laughs> hatred another approach that works i think yeah i mean i don't yeah. believe 100 percent that tom has never read a comment but i i'll, I'll respect his his uh no i, I, I have well, brought comments to him you before. forced him to read i i i force him <laughs> yeah. to read some comments that have made me so angry that i want to such fight a pusher someone, so. um yeah. uh, that's great no i don't i'm not no but that's a good point I'm not perfect about it. Right. Nobody's perfect about it. The book doesn't suggest that perfection is the standard. Um, it just suggests that there should be a standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I totally, I, I, I like it and I respect it. And I think that's a really great spot for us to, to sort of to cap off here because I think that's a really solid, useful piece of advice for all of us who are constantly swimming in these social media environments, not just content creators who get a bunch of uh, <laughs> terrible emails apparently. Um, so we're gonna have to get here to the torturing in a second, but before we do that, I like to always end by asking, you know, are there resources in particular that you feel like have helped you personally with the journey, obviously besides the book, which we will continue to plug endlessly, but other things that like you feel like really worked for you. We read recently on our show, Demon Haunted World. Mm -hmm. And while that book definitely, there's some chapters in it that are not super great. I would say start with chapter, I think it's seven, and then continue on for the rest of the book. And that Mm. book was spectacular, even though dated. And it really had a lot of great moments in it that taught that that really helped me become a better critical thinker years ago when I read it. And I didn't even know I was bringing those things with me. That was that influential on me. Mm. Yeah, I I would add to that two books that have always stuck with me. and, and I will I will caveat this with I have not read them in a long time, but I have kept their messages at core in my in my toolbox and that they're both by Neil Postman. One is amusing ourselves to death. One is how to watch TV news. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're both really actually important books um, for how to watch TV news might make you laugh now and think I don't watch TV news. But the point of that book yeah. that I will never stop thinking about is you should have a way to do this. Mm-hmm. You should have a way. And 
not have, I mean, this is a guy who wrote a whole book about how to write, watch the damn news. Like we need a way you need a method. Mm -hmm. Um, and amusing ourselves to death is also, I think still an equally interesting and useful guide for information analysis and gathering. Mm. Great. That's wonderful. So now, unfortunately, I have to torture one of you because Tom has already been through this, but Cecil has not. So oh. Oh, okay. this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. I'm sorry, Tom. I, you know, I thought about how to do this and I think trying to do two Look, rounds of it would be hard. But fine. You're going to. I'm going to sit back and just let it happen. Yeah, you can just enjoy the suffering, right, this right. time around. Okay. Um, so Cecil, for folks who are not familiar, I'm going to give you a list of things. You're going to tell me, are these things real or not real? What do you mean by real? There's no defini no defining real. You don't get to yeah, hedge one way or the thing. other. Oh, okay. Real right. or not real. That's all you get. Real or not real. All okay. Right. I'm going to go with my gut, mm -hmm. my G-U-T, okay. my grand unified theory to Great. decide whether or not these are real. Great. All right. So here we go. First of all, let me just check. Is anything real? Yes. Okay, great. Let's find out what is real. So first of all, the external world, real or not real? Yes, real. All right. Colors, real or not real? Real. Phenomenal consciousness? Real. Free will? Not real. Selves or persons? Real. Genders? Real. Races? Not real. Species? Real. Morality? Real. <laughs> Rights? Real. Mm. Knowledge? Real. God or gods? Not real. <laughs> I thought you were going to come out for a second there. That was going to be the moment. Um, <laughs> society? Real. Money? Uh, broke his stride. Now he's in trouble. This is so Real. hard to be a spectator for, by the it's way. tricky, right? Real. <laughs> Real. Real. Okay. Um, numbers. <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> what about imaginary ones? I can't be quiet. <laughs> Real or not real? Uh, pass. Nope. No passing. <laughs> not that kind of game. You're in uh, Aaron's house now. We got, we got statisticians who are waiting for this data. Some of them are real, and some of them are real. Do, do I pick not real or real? So I'm going to go not real. Okay. Fictional characters. Not real. Holes, like a hole in the ground. <laughs> what? <laughs> real. Wait, was that not real? Uh, you pick it. Which, which one did I say? Oh, no, I don't know. You tell me. Holes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> real. This is for science. You got to be specific here. Uh, real. Very there we go. real. There we go. Deep and real. Chairs. Real. Sandwiches. Hmm. Not real. Science. <laughs> real. Natural laws. Is this ever going to end? <laughs> yeah. You're getting, you're getting close to the end here. You're doing great, buddy. Real. Beauty. Real. Love. Real. Causality. Real. And finally, time. Real. Okay. You survived. How do you feel? That's terrible. That's the worst. <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you do that to people? Um, like what's, what was your motivation behind that to do that to people? I'll be honest with you. It, it came about because I was having a philosophy friend on and I wanted to torture him. Um, <laughs> and then it just turned into a thing where I torture everybody. And then I just did it. I just did I it just, to everybody. Okay, it, right, that's fair. And then everybody that's loved fair. hearing people getting tortured, so we kept it up. Yeah, no, it, yeah, there's definitely there de definitely is a sympathetic cringe that everybody else does. I mean, so Tom was sure. over there like chewing his head off trying to. <laughs> I could tell he's he was twitching and fidgeting the whole time. It's so difficult. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a nightmare. Um, I appreciate you being tortured for science. Uh, so hopefully you guys can stick around maybe a little bit, do a little bit of. VIP content for sure, whatnots, absolutely. right? Great. So for the normies, then, um, do you want to let folks know one more time, uh, name of the book, name of the show, where they can find you on the social medias? Obviously not Tom because he won't pay attention to you. <laughs> 
you know, you could go to our website, dissonancepod.com, and pretty much everything's there. The book is called The Grand Unified Theory of Bullshit. It's available in uh, print-on-demand on Amazon in, in uh, hardcover and, and softcover, and then it's also available on Kindle there. The audiobook is available through our website, and also you can find it on various providers that aren't Amazon. So anything that is like, like Google and Apple and things like that, you can find the book there, um, and then also from our website. Awesome. All right. Well, guys, thanks very much. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks, as always, to our listeners and patrons who make this show possible. We've got several new patrons this week. Thanks to Renate Palat, uh, Kareem Sabri, Camille Essekat, and Mr. Inaudible. And as always, I'd like to thank our top-tier patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Lauren Shielding. This is a tribute to a song about a tribute to a song from whence I got this username. Dude, fix the vote. Ugh, love Hemet, but sounded so shrill. What happened to Jessica? Chad T, Jesse Urbinowitz, and Brenda Goodman. And all the thanks to our Archduke-level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space. And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons' Film Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVPod or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, whatever other bullshit you hear, you are the void and the void is you. 